The city council has just returned from an open session, uh, um, from an exec executive session, and we're returning back to our open session here in the assembly room. We're on to item number three uh, in adjournment. Could I get a motion, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Alter, seconded by Weiner. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? We are adjourned. And we are adjourned into our work session on for the city of Iowa City on March 22nd, 2022. And this is going to be, um, it's just around 426. And the first item is the Forest View relocation proposal. And I'm gonna ask that our city manager, Jeff Fruin, lead us in this conversation. All right, thank you, Mayor and Council. Um, I have uh, slides to get through, about 10 of her, uh, 10 slides uh, this afternoon, but I, I really want to direct your attention and the public's attention to the uh, more detailed memo that's in the packet. Um, obviously, we can only kind of put some summary bullet points up on these slides. Uh, as you know, this is an incredibly complex issue, and uh, the memo will do a better job of providing uh, the needed uh, background and context on, on everything we're going to discuss. So uh, a little bit of um, uh, background. Back in September uh, of last year, uh, we presented some staff recommendations for priorities in the use of American Rescue Plan Act funds. And uh, the Forest View relocation was, was mentioned as one of the emergent priorities uh, during that discussion. Uh, since, that, uh, since that time, uh, we've had the good fortune to meet with the uh, tenants a couple of times to better understand uh, some of the uh, um, challenges uh, that they have and, and, and better understand from their perspective what the issues are in, in their neighborhood um, and have had a really good uh, back and forth dialogue with the tenants. And I want to just take a moment to, to thank them. And, and the staff at the Center for Worker Justice and the board there for facilitating those meetings. Um, we're still not probably in 100% agreement on, on what this relocation recommendation looks like. I can tell you uh, the feedback they provided was um, very meaningful uh, and, and did help us understand things a little bit better. And some of that feedback is incorporated into the final memo that, that you saw. So um, the memo goes into detail on the, uh, the, the redevelopment project itself. Uh, we've been talking about the redevelopment of the Forest View area, which I will say, when I say that, I mean more than just the uh, manufactured housing park, but the, the larger 73-acre uh, parcel of ground out there, all the way back to 2015. So um, it's, it has an extensive history. And, um, some of those summaries are up up there, but again, I'd reference, I'd have you reference the memo if you want to learn a little bit more uh, about that uh, about that project history. Uh, the important thing to note that is in 2019, the council uh, did approve a conditional zoning uh, agreement for the site, and basically, what what a conditional zoning agreement says is, before a building permit can be uh, obtained. Um, these conditions uh, have to be met. Uh, so it was, it was uh, a very project-specific type of document. And uh, I want to go through some of those, uh, those bullet points with you so you understand 
back in 2019 what the expectations were, uh, the shared expectations were from the tenants, the developer, the city, and the larger community. Um, as you know, there was um, uh, a plan to build approximately 57 new modular homes in a neighborhood. Uh, and uh, the conditional zoning agreement outlined conditions related to the design of those homes uh, and actually provided um, the pathway uh, for residents to transition from the existing uh, manufactured housing park into this new Forest View neighborhood uh, with the ability to build equity starting at the current lot rate lease that they were paying so that they would kind of transition into these new homes under the same uh, rent structure and then those rents would would gradually increase and and uh, during which time they would build equity and eventually have the opportunity to purchase uh, the home if that was a goal of theirs um, the re the conditional zoning agreement anticipated three different types of replacement housing um, the first being what I just described, this new Forest View neighborhood with 57 modular uh, housing units. At the, time, uh, at the time in 2019, there were far more than 57 uh, mobile home units uh, in existence. So there was also alternatives outside of the 57 uh, planned homes. And that was multifamily property on that same redevelopment site. And then also off-site um, assistance. So if a resident did not uh, or, or saw a, a better opportunity somewhere outside of that forestry redevelopment area, they would have had the ability to um, uh, obtain 7200 7, per household to assist with that uh, relocation. Um, the, the, certainly the conditional zoning agreement was a lot more detailed than what I just uh, described, but that's the, that's the basic expectations. Uh, the conditional zoning agreement um, also required the execution of an affordable housing agreement. So those general terms that I just described were just that. They were very general. Um, certainly when you're getting into the issue, uh, you can anticipate uh, a lot of details uh, that, that had to be worked out to, to figure exactly how folks would transition, how they would elect to what uh, of the three housing choices uh, they preferred. Um, and that was a condition of the, of the conditional zoning agreement was to um, uh, execute an affordable housing agreement that you all would have approved prior to getting that building permit. That was one of those, those issues. Um, those conversations stalled back in late 2019. We weren't, really weren't getting anything from uh, the owners uh, uh, that would suggest they were moving forward on the development of that affordable housing agreement so that was never uh, never executed also there, there lacked a traffic study um, uh, that was required and uh, there was still some uh, uh, platting that needed to be done as well so they, they they still had several steps they had to go before they could have pulled that building permit um, I think we all uh, know now and it's uh, it's a disappointing realization, but, but the realization is the project's not moving forward. Um, uh, and since 2019, we've seen a great reduction in the number of households actually living in uh, the Forest View uh, neighborhood. Uh, we estimated at the time of the conditional zoning agreement there were maybe 90 to 100 units. Uh, last estimate that I had received from the tenants uh, out there now is that it's probably between 50 and 60 right now. So a very sharp decline 
in um, the number of, of units out there. We've seen, uh, I'd say, accelerated deterioration of the area. I think everybody anticipated that this redevelopment project would happen. The owners were investing a lot of money into plans. Uh, so, so everybody felt this was going to move forward. As such, the, the upkeep of the common areas of the private infrastructure have not occurred. And of course, from a resident standpoint, you're going to be hesitant to put money into your home uh, knowing that it's a, a, it could be a very short term, uh, uh, specifically a matter of months, um, uh, type of a living arrangement. So we've seen kind of that dual, um, uh, dual disinvestment. Nobody's investing in those individual units. The owners aren't investing in the park. And as a result, um, you're seeing uh, accelerated deterioration there. There's been some generous community partners to step up and try to help um, winterize units the last two um, seasons. Uh, the city has sponsored those efforts uh, financially. In 2020, it was the Iowa City Federation of Labor and the Center for Worker Justice. And then this year, we're working with Habitat for Humanity uh, uh, on this, on the, should say, on this past winter. Um, clearly, that's not a sustainable solution. You know, that's, that's a true Band-Aid approach, and, and we can't continue uh, to do that. Frankly, the, a lot of the units out there um, are, are well beyond that kind of um, temporary solution. So there's a couple of, there, we wanted to make sure you were aware of some history that the city's had with relocation efforts. Um, we don't have a whole lot of history, but we do have some recent history that, that um, uh, could give you a, a kind of some guideposts, if you will. In 2016, um, there was sudden displacement in the, what was known as the Rose Oaks housing development. That's now known as the quarters. Um, and uh, after a lot of council consideration, uh, the city council at the time authorized one-time one payments of $250 to each household that had a valid lease at the time of that displacement. Total in city, uh, city investment um, was around $34,000. And then in addition, uh, we also funded some translation services and contracted with Shelter House for some case management. Uh, a couple years later, uh, during a rezoning on Prairie Desheen Road, uh, we had the Hawkeye Trailer Court uh, relocation. And as part of uh, that rezoning, uh, the city council stipulated that there'd be a $4,000 relocation payment uh, for those residents that were living in that uh, mobile home park. And that cost was split between the developer and the city um, at $2,000 each for a total of four. And then there was also some case management uh, assistance that the city paid for and it was provided by uh, the shelter house. So those are the two recent examples where the city directly uh, got involved. Um, uh, another one that um, is detailed in the memo is the federal uh, relocation um, I'm sorry, the Federal Uniform Relocation Act, uh, often referred to as the URA, um, that provides a methodology for relocation um, that I think is important for, for you to understand. Um, it, it would apply if there were federal dollars, if it was a federal project that was causing the displacement or if the city received federal dollars and were, were doing something that caused the displacement, this is the law that would govern that situation. Um, that is not the case here. Um, we, are, we are looking at a strictly voluntary situation. The city does not have um, a legal um, 
requirement to, to step in with relocation here. But nonetheless, we can look at the URA as, as a potential model to use. That's detailed in the, um, in the memo if you want to see kind of specifics on how that works. But the, the, the basic logic is you take what the current rents are, you look at what a comparable uh, unit would be or whatever leased unit um, that the resident has secured. You take that gap, you, you, tie, you, you multiply that by 42 months, and that's the assistance, except that the assistance is capped at 7,200. So that's the max assistance that you would get under the federal URA. And uh, that number should sound familiar because that was the number that was contained in the conditional zoning agreement for those homes that may potentially move off-site um, again. So that conditional zoning agreement said if you're going to seek housing outside of the Forest View area, your assistance will be 7,200 borrowed directly from this uh, federal legislation. Again, you have the flexibility if you choose to move forward with the relocation program to craft things uh, any number of ways. Uh, depending on how you do that, uh, we may have to look at different funding sources or, or modify things a little bit, but uh, because this is voluntary, you do have uh, the ability um, to, to be creative in how you pursue this. So some key issues that uh, you all will have to discuss, and staff is here to kind of help you walk through that. Number one is the amount of assistance. What is going to be a meaningful amount of assistance that will truly help residents uh, uh, move into safer uh, uh, housing? The funding source that we're going to use, uh, we, we certainly uh, would like to maximize use of the American Rescue Plan Act dollars that we've received. Uh, and depending on the program parameters that you set, uh, we may have to find supplemental sources uh, if, uh, if needed. Eligibility is a big question. Who's, who's eligible for this? Is it uh, everybody living there now? Uh, is it uh, folks that were living there back in 2019? How big is that pool of eligible residents is something we'll have to discuss. The relocation time frame. Um, how long can you, will you provide for uh, someone to, to relocate? Uh, currently, right now, the, the owners would have the ability to close the park in 60 days. Uh, and that assumes that there are no uh, leases. Uh, as far as we know, they're all month-to-month -month leases or there, there may not be actually written leases at all. So that would be a 60-day time frame. The federal URA allows, uh, provides a 90-day time frame. So we'll have to discuss, do you want to use, you want to look at that URA standard or uh, you'll see staff's recommendation is, is that more time is needed than 90 days to, to give people uh, a better opportunity to explore all options. And then finally, we want to talk about any future affordable housing that may occur. Um, obviously, we, we do hope that at some point development uh, is, uh, on this, uh, is realized on this site. And we know the expectation will be that uh, there will be significant affordable housing when that development uh, comes forward. And we want to talk about, uh, you know, what right, if any, residents uh, currently in Forest View might have to some of those housing opportunities in the future. Okay, so um, I'm going to walk you through staff's relocation proposal. I know it's a bit of a broken record, but, but please refer to the memo for, for some of the details. The summary points are, are right here. Uh, staff is per, uh, um, proposing that uh, the eligibility uh, date back to September 1 of 2021, so last fall. Um, September is the month in which we presented our ARPA recommendations to you 
and at which time um, the concept of forestry relocation uh, was, was floated. Um, we do believe that uh, the uh, least intrusive path forward and the, the most effective path, path forward is for <clears throat> excuse me, um, income uh, verification and the, the uh, dollar amount in the American Rescue Plan Act um, is $40,626. So if, if a household made more than that amount, they would not be eligible unless they may be eligible for other federal assistance programs. So there's a whole list of federal assistance programs, whether it's food support, um, insurance support, things like that, that uh, someone may be eligible for. Even if they're not enrolled in that program, we can check to see if they're, they're eligible despite having a higher income, and that, that could still make them eligible for uh, this relocation program. We believe, uh, actually encouraged by the Treasury, is a, a self-certification of income. So we think we can uh, develop a, a very simple process for residents to self-certify their income. And we will have to prove uh, residency, uh, but we would look to do that in a, in a simple, straightforward uh, manner. The uh, staff, uh, we are proposing relocation assistance, including a moving allowance of 15750 um, we uh, utilized the, um, uh, the, the Federal uh, Uniform Relocation Act methodology, but we essentially lifted that cap. That, that cap of 7,200 we didn't feel was um, realistic uh, uh, to use in this situation where you have probably some of the lowest rents in Iowa City. It's our understanding that the lot rents remain at $310. That is very low uh, compared to what other housing opportunities would provide in our market. So we felt like uh, um, uh, we needed to bump that up. And you can see we've uh, almost doubled what that cap uh, is, and our recommendation is $15,750. You can see the calculation actually in the, in the memo. Based on some feedback from the tenants, um, we would uh, think it's reasonable to provide some of that money up front so that could be used for uh, any number of things, could be security deposits, could be first month rent, uh, anything, uh, moving expenses uh, that, that uh, may need to pay, be paid before actual move out date. And then the balance or 75% would be paid uh, upon move out. And we are looking uh, or recommending to you a December 9th move out deadline for this, really looking ahead to that winter and trying to get as many people out uh, uh, by December 9th as possible. Again, it's important that I just reiterate this a couple of times. The city cannot force anybody to move. Um, the owner certainly could at some point, but the city does not have standing to, to force somebody. So this would be a voluntary, uh, a voluntary um, program. Um, and there is cl clearly a risk that even if we looked at this December 9th uh, move out deadline, that the owners could choose, the owner could choose to um, uh, close the park earlier. I don't anticipate that that would be the issue, but we have to, we have to think of, we have to know that that scenario could be out there. Um, certainly, we know that there's a lot of troubles with private infrastructure. You could have a major infrastructure failure out there um, that would, uh, perhaps uh, move, uh, move folks in that direction. So that's a summary of the, the staff relocation proposal. Obviously, there's a, a, a lot of details um, 
uh, that, that need to be discussed with this, but hopefully that gives you a um, good indication of where staff is. Regarding the future affordable housing on site, um, we are trying to do everything we can as staff to ensure that um, whatever comes of Forest View in the future, and that's likely with a new ownership group, but we don't, we don't know that for sure, includes significant affordable housing. We don't want to lose sight that that was a, a kind of key cornerstone of the redevelopment proposal. A lot of the density that was approved back in 2019 was done so because this, the city knew that we were also getting um, uh, uh, significant investment in affordable housing. So we want to work with the current owner um, or future owners uh, on, on making sure that that uh, affordable housing commitment is honored in whatever uh, proposals come forward. Uh, there's kind of two different scenarios we're, we're going down. Uh, one might be a land dedication from the current owners. If we can get the current owners to dedicate the land that was going to be the new Forest View neighborhood, then the city could, could control that, uh, could control the future of that. We would have the ability uh, to develop affordable housing in a way that we thought was most effective uh, and most beneficial for the community. Obviously, we cannot compel the owners to do that. Um, but they are open to those discussions, and uh, I, I fully expect that we'll continue to uh, discuss that option with them. If they uh, decide that you know the best thing for them is to, to sell to a new owner, then we would lean on that 2019 conditional zoning agreement and, and talk with, with uh, any new owners and say, this is an expectation of the community. We realize that the market has changed, and this exact proposal is, is not uh, viable in this day and age. But with whatever you put forward, we expect uh, a similar uh, affordable housing commitment will be reflected in that future proposal. And I think, uh, you know, we would certainly do our best to, to realize that with whatever uh, ownership group uh, came forward uh, on this property in the future. Um, I, I do have reservations of making commitments to the Forest View residents about their ability to transition into that future affordable housing if and when it happens. Um, one is because I think it's really important that the residents make their housing decisions now without that um, potential out there. I'd hate for them to, to make decisions thinking again that there could be a housing option for me in, in another year or two or three at this site. Frankly, they've, they've been given a lot of hope uh, over the last five or six years, and it hasn't materialized. And, 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 and that's, um, uh, you know, I'm not pointing fingers or, or anything like that. These, these, these issues are, are uh, the developments like this are incredibly complex, and it's not uncommon that very complex projects don't move forward. But the reality is they've had a lot of hope. And I, and I don't feel like we have the ability today here to extend that hope. I do think the council can say when that time comes, when we know what that affordable housing situation looks like and we know what funding sources might be there, uh, we know whether we own it or we don't, um, that we can explore that opportunity. But I think you need to be really careful about making guarantees or promises on first right of refusal you could end up making achievement of that affordable housing a lot more difficult because it could eliminate some funding sources or, or otherwise constrain um, different options that otherwise might be um, beneficial for the community. So to, to, to wrap up, 
um, you know, this is one of those examples where just because something is approved, you know, a rezoning is approved by council, um, the project doesn't always move forward. And as I just said, oftentimes the more complex the project is, the, the tougher it is to actually get the financing and move things forward. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, that's led to a disappointing situation here where a, a vision that was, uni you know, unanimously supported by a council was largely supported by the community, the tenants, and the owner uh, just wasn't able to, um, to get to the finish line. Uh, the existing CZA, you know, I, I can anticipate uh, folks just saying, well, you've got the CZA, just, just use that. Just kind of force anybody into that development uh, proposal. The reality is that that is, is not likely viable. Um, that had a lot of commercial space. It had hospitality space. Uh, and the markets have changed drastically. If you were to take a hard line and just say, that CZA is it, and that's what we're going to uh, lean on uh, for the foreseeable future, you just have to realize you're not going to see development. And that park will eventually close, and that will sit vacant. And there's, um, there's challenges that that provides, not only uh, with, with the current residents, but as you know, a major component of this project was flood resiliency for Iowa City and getting that secondary access uh, from the peninsula neighborhood. So I think there is an interest uh, for the city to want to see development move forward there. Um, uh, but we're going to have to expect it's going to be a few years. Just as this Forest View project started in 2015 and didn't get the last rezoning it needed to 2019, you could see another project come forward that takes an equal amount of time to, to get through. Hopefully not, but uh, we, have to, we have to expect that that's a possibility. So uh, in the memo, I left you with a couple of um, concluding questions there. These are guidelines for you. I think this is some, some of the things that staff identified that would be really helpful for you to talk about. Um, you don't have to follow these questions. You can, you can carry your discussions how you best see fit, but maybe refer to those to make sure we're covering these areas. Anything you decide to do will be memorialized in a formal resolution at a later date. So. Um, certainly any, any guidance you can give today is helpful, but understand you're not making any final decisions today. That vote will come uh, down the road, and if you need multiple work sessions, you know, you can certainly schedule those. Uh, this, is a, this is a tough issue to tackle in, in one night. So with that, I'll just, uh, I'm going to take my seat. I can still answer questions, um, but I'll turn the discussion over to you, Mayor. Thank you, Jeff, for taking us through a lot of information right now. And um, I do want to welcome everyone that is here present and, and uh, that's present in this building today. Council, I just opened it up to us to just kind of engage in conversation. And I will also um, just reiterate, um, we certainly can go anywhere with the discussion, but I think some of the key things that um, we can start to discuss is the amount of assistance, the funding source, the eligibility, time frame to move, as well as the future affordability um, on this property, or the future housing, affordable housing on this property. If I can just leap in. Yeah. If I can just leap in, I think that um, in many ways, discussing eligibility is a, a good first move because then that leads kind of into then us being able to talk about um, 
sort of the amounts. I'm open to other suggestions, but it seems at least in that kind of sequence, it, there's a certain logic to it. And I guess with that also, I'll just put my first foot forward and say that um, pretty simply, I, I honestly believe that um, while the city is grappling with a lot of different parts to this and, and, and money as well, I ultimately think that we need to honor uh, the original uh, agreement that was entered into in 2019 um, in terms of the, the original uh, tenants who entered into and fostered this agreement. I will get to my opinion on some of those questions that you posed in our in our memo, but I had a few things that I, I wanted to say. Um, I have to admit, since I've been there since day one, it's been it's been very disheartening uh, for me to see that the residents uh, of Forest View uh, have had to live through yet another winter in in that mobile home court. And I want to thank the Carpenters Union, the Teamsters, Habitat for Humanity, and the many others for their efforts to provide some of the needed repairs. But these, as we know, were only temporary fixes and not really viable long-term solutions. I, I also want to say that, um, and for those of you out there who are listening in, I, I admire each and every one of these residents and their families for the strength and courage that they have shown through this very long process. I can't believe that it's taken this many years uh, and we're still back to square one, basically. Uh, on page seven of the memorandum in our packet, it stated that there is no legal obligation to pursue a relocation package. Uh, however, in staff's view, such action is prudent. And if by prudent you mean wise and sensible, I, I agree. We need to treat this as a matter of extreme urgency. These individuals should not have to continue to wait for what was promised to them. They should not have to worry about the possibility of going through yet another winter in their current homes or their infrastructure collapsing. We as a city need to show some integrity and do what we can to help fulfill what was promised to these individuals. They need financial help for whatever it would take to relocate to a safe and affordable home. And they should not have to jump through a number of hoops to receive it. The question of eligibility has come up about those persons who moved from the court uh, after the CZA was signed and before the September uh, of last year date. My belief is that they should still qualify to receive at least some compensation for having to have had to leave their home. For all we know, their homes were just not livable and they had to leave as soon as possible. They should not be penalized for that. We just need to do the right thing as a city for each and every person that has been struggling through this. That's all. I guess I just have a, a preliminary contextual kind of uh, framing comment, which is regardless of where this conversation goes tonight, because there are so many interdependent and complicated issues in my mind, I just want to acknowledge and celebrate the fact that we're here talking about a collaboration between the city uh, led by our staff and those tenants, those residents who have worked so hard and so long and who came with a joint application 
with the property developer um, when at the time that the conditional zoning agreement was entered. So wherever we land tonight, I think we should acknowledge and celebrate the fact that we're talking about significant investment from the city to honor something that was not our responsibility to do right by those who work so hard to try and um, have a path forward for affordable housing when their houses were deteriorating. So again, I, I'm not gonna take a position on any particular thing at this stage, I want to kind of hear how the conversation goes, but I do, I do just want to make sure we're framing it that way, as I know we're going to nitpick a million things going forward. Also, wanted to acknowledge, uh, alongside with you, uh, about the tenant association and the city, how collaboratively um, they, the tenant association, expressed uh, that they've been working with the city. Yesterday, um, Councillor. Um, uh, Taylor and Councilor Hermson and I, um, was it yesterday? Sunday. Sunday. Sunday, okay. Sunday we were um, over, at the, over at Forest View and um, we actually had the opportunity to uh, walk through the neighborhood as well as uh, talk to some of the tenants that were present. And they gave the city an award which we accepted on behalf of the city. And what they really said was thank you for listening and working with us and i think that's a great testament um to the collaborative efforts that the tenant association has been having and so as for me since i am talking now um, I'll, I'll tell you that it was it is humbling you know to um walk and see uh the need um, to be in a more livable um, environment. But it was also great to see the hope uh, that was expressed by everyone there. The community spirit was very evident in so many ways, even through the good food um, that was present and all that good stuff. But um, as I think back to this, and I was a new counselor here in 2018 when this came before me, and it was all new, but I remember the a council room being filled <laughs> uh, with residents and they came and they made their case um, to us and just like Councillor Burgess just mentioned they were successful and being co-signers um, with the developers and that was such a great feeling and so much excitement but that soon you know has uh, kind of been dim 57 new mobile home, um, modular homes is what was expected. Um, everyone was excited to uh, have the opportunity to lease to own the properties and you know that now is definitely uh, faded away. You know, I, I do need to be um, reiterate and reiterate and reiterate that the city don't have a legal obligation. Um, but I also wanna iterate and iterate that we, I personally feel, and I can tell you that my colleagues do as well, feel morally that we do care for each other and we want to have a discussion. And we may not always see eye to eye and agree to things 100%, but I believe that we can as a council and as um, residents find a way to move forward. Um, in unity. And so 
as I am, you know, thinking about this, I'll tell you that um, I, I do have some, some thoughts and some position statements that I think um, I'm comfortable kind of sharing at this point. Um, eligibility, I think, is, you know, a good starting point. Um, you know, who, who is eligible? Um, I don't know, um, at least for me, that we need to get into how much money individuals make um, out there personally. Um, and so the, for me, I think we take that off the table personally. If, if someone was out there, I'm okay with um, September 1st, last fall, for various reasons. And, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding was the relocation plan when it was 7,200, um, at the time that the agreement was created, it was for anyone that had it to move once the plans moved forward. I don't recall it having um, been for past attendees or residents of the community. Um, so as a baseline, there's still room for negotiation and conversation. I, I'm comfortable with the September 1st. That's when we started to have the discussions um, of our, you know, with our ARPA funds and that type of stuff. Um, as far as um, time frame to move, I think that that can certainly be uh, a moving target. We don't know where the developer is as far as a time frame. I, I don't I know that the tenant association has officially heard when the park will close. Um, so I think that can certainly be um, a moving target. What I do know is, um, you know, the, the need to um, move for many is very vital. So if I don't focus in on the time frame, I think focusing in on the amount of assistance and when it's available becomes more important than the time frame. And so as a, as a baseline, the 15,000, 750,000 is what the city uh, staff has laid out for council to consider and it's not a, um, you know, a final place, but I do, I, I saw how it was all laid out as to how they came up with that figure. The 7,200 was the original amount with the relocation plan and so the 15,750 I am comfortable with. Um, the funding source, I certainly think that we have the opportunity to use ARPA funds and I would support that. Um, when it does come down to the future of the affordable housing on the property, I think there are so many factors that go into what's going to happen. Will the developer actually give the um, property to the city? Will the developer keep it himself or keep it themselves? Will they sell it off? It does have that affordability, you know, catch on it. Um, and so, you know, I think that's where the council um, does have some latitude when a project come before us where that affordable piece is certainly there. I think the part about ensuring that um, the current residents of Forest View neighborhood have first op, 
Um, as much as I would love that idea and love to make that stipulation, I sit here with the reality that the tenants have been so courageous in um, all of their efforts to, to date that I don't want to be in a position where, because we don't know when this will be here. There could be a totally new council <laughs> uh, when this project come up. And so I don't want to set up um, the hopes to a degree where it is totally dim. So for me, I think um, the future of the affordable housing, you know, who will be there? Um, I'm not comfortable at this point um, saying that it would be for the Forest View residents as first right to refusal. Um, but with that being said, I do think that um, the affordable rates are going to be very important and whichever council is here during that time um, will have to really key in and, and be zoned in um, to really respect all the hard work that the Forest View uh, Tenant Association has laid, the foundation that they laid. I think it's going to be um, a great opportunity for this council to have a, a standing uh, ground uh, from the start. And so even though right now in this moment I am not supporting that, I, I do believe that the hard work of the Tenant Association um, gives the council um, a, a good baseline moving forward with whatever project comes before us. So for me, I know that this isn't us voting on anything, but I, I wanted to get out my thoughts so that my fellow counselors can hear. I do see some of our um, uh, Forest View Tenant Association members here. Um, and again, I, I so appreciate all that you all have done and, um, and will continue to do. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I'll go ahead and some of the submissions jump in first. Um, first of all, I want to uh, say thank you and echo some of the things that the council member uh, Taylor has said and Alter and Burgess and, and Mayor Teague about thanking the people that have worked so hard for so long to try and make Iowa City a better place, um, you know, in general, as well as for the, the residents of Forest View, uh, um, members of the community, member of the Forest View, uh, the previous and current council members and, and city staff all have worked well. It is nice to be in a position where we are here fine-tuning how we're going to help people and not arguing whether or not we should be doing that. We've, we've answered that question. Um, I've lived in a lot of places and covered a lot of city councils, and I would be willing to say that it would be a very different discussion in a lot of places I've lived before. Um, uh, kind of going through and kind of running through the, the list, um, I think I'll just kind of follow the mayor's lead. Uh, I agree, uh, taking the income off the table, it makes sense. I, I think when we talk about who qualifies, uh, figuring out a way not to go through all of those steps. If we can streamline it, it'll make it, you know, hopefully simpler for city staff, but also, you know, let's face it, if you're raising a family and your, your household income is $41,000, you're not rolling in it, um, you know, and to kind of split those hairs just seems kind of cruel to me. So, so I, I agree with that. Um, I actually think we should, we can cover back further. Uh, I kind of agree with uh, uh, Councilman Taylor and I think 
Walter maybe said this as well, um, going back to the original date. Um, I know I was looking at it, and I don't know if, if anybody else, uh, this was shared with anybody else, I, I don't know, but uh, a letter even from our, our previous city attorney, a letter that was actually to the original developer, which basically indicated that the, this should go back to the, 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 to the date the CZA was, um, was uh, uh, instituted, was passed. In terms of, it was actually a question similar to this, who would get that 72,000, sorry, sorry 7,200, <laughs> gotta remember where to put that decimal point. Uh, moving relocation. So even though we're talking about a different amount now, I think there's some precedent for even the city's involvement looking at that as an important date uh, to fix on. Um, and so I, th you know, I would certainly be be uh, supportive of the idea of let's look how we can get that back and what ways and what mechanisms or combinations of funding sources. Uh, if we have to do a different funding source for anybody who moved, say, pre-COVID. Um, you know, maybe that's something that has to be done. And so that would be something that I would support looking into that. Um, you know, using the ARPA funds and looking back further than September because we do see that that, you know, in that certainly since COVID has started, um, that neighborhood has been impacted in a way that has been sort of like this uh, um, microcosm of, of society, but all of it located, like everybody there was effective. It wasn't a part of the neighborhood. It was the entire neighborhood that was impacted. And so the argument about looking at the neighborhood as a, as a whole, as sort of a package makes sense to me. Um, I think that's arguable, um, supportive. Um, uh, in terms of the uh, amount, I think if the, uh, we'll hear later, I'm sure we'll hear from some members and we've heard from some members of the, of the uh, Residents Association. Uh, but for those kinds of details, if they're comfortable with it, I'm certainly comfortable with that. Um, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the split 25 up front to help them with moving expenses and the rest after the move, I think that sounds like something that's been negotiated and that I'm supportive of that. Um, again, what I like about this is a lot of these issues have already been worked through with city staff and uh, the residents and, and their allies. And so, um, so that's, that's good. So we're not just making stuff up. We're actually doing this as part of a, an ongoing collaborative process. This is just the part in front of the cameras. Um, and so, yeah, I, so I, I think all of those things. When we get into the issues of the future of, of the development, um, you know, I don't know that that's as pressing of an issue tonight because I think we really, in my mind, uh, the first issue is to make sure the people that need to get into safer housing get that funding and know they can do that or if they have had to relocate but they're struggling to get by, that we get them that help too. And so we kind of get them, everybody that, that has been impacted from Forest View onto solid ground. So to me, that's, that's the priority. Um, looking ahead to the future development, um, maybe, you know, I, I would love to be able to to give the, the same guarantees that they've had all along. If for some reason we think we can't do that, and I'm not convinced that we can't, but if, if we think that, perhaps we can do something like guaranteeing a seat at the table. Um, so if decisions are made that we're not, you know, that, that they're being made with the same people who are going to be most directly impacted and have been most directly impacted since day one. So that's kind of my starting point um, on some of those. And of course, like I said, you know, we'll be getting the benefit of some more input here, I'm sure, uh, um, at the beginning of our next meeting. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Well, I, I uh, certainly am sympathetic to what everyone has said. Uh, you know, I, I was on council when this project first was being considered and um, it was a visionary project. I mean, I think we all felt that this was something that Iowa City would be not only proud of, but could very well be a project that would be 
have uh, interests beyond Iowa City as a model of how to develop land uh, with, with the challenge of incorporating into that development affordable housing. It was a really significant achievement. So I, I feel we need to salvage that vision. I mean, that is critical, uh, that we, we don't lose that sense of vision. You know, and how, how that influences, you know, this question of the, you know, the pro providing assistance in the short term. Uh, I think it, it seems clear to me that, uh, you know, that we should make every, everyone who signed the C CZA should be eligible. It should go back to that agreement. You know, I think there is a question as to what the, um, the level of payment would be um, for those, you know, if we go back to the beginning, um, certainly the 7,200 would be the baseline since that was the, the figure in the agreement. It does seem to me one of the critical points in terms of the ARPA funding is when the uh, impacts of COVID came into play, which seemed to my, my sense of how that would translate into the calendar would be perhaps March of 2020. I mean, that's when the impacts began to hit. And so I, w I would think that that, again, this is maybe something that requires further, further investigation and discussion, but it seems that um, that may be an, a worthwhile f date to, to determine how the, the funding amounts are determined. Uh, so that, that's you know, one, one thing to consider there. Um, on the question of, um, you know, the, the big picture, looking forward over into the long term, um, I mean, this is an interesting, you know, getting back to the vision. The, the, the crux of this project, I felt in some ways, at least in terms of the community's interest, was over the affordable housing element. Uh, but I think there are other things that are, make the project of interest and, and importance to Iowa City. One is the, you know, the flooding issue. Foster Road is, um, as it stands now, cut off should, should flood levels rise to a point where uh, Foster Road at the low point is flooded. It also has an, an important environmental element. There's a lot of natural area on this site. So when, you, when I combine all three of those things, the, the thought of the city perhaps considering purchasing the property comes to mind because it, uh, do we want to put the fate of this piece of land in the hands of a private developer? Uh, you know, a lot of these questions that we're talking about seem to revolve around, you know, how much control we have over the outcome if that were the case. So I would at least be interested in considering that. Um, you know, the peninsula development just down the road was a city project. That was a city-sponsored process. We developed the vision for it. Uh, we put out an RFP and, um, you know, we can now see the results. I think it's one of the more interesting and successful residential neighborhoods in Iowa City. So. We do have evidence that that approach can be successful and uh, that's the approach that was taken uh, in that instance. 
So that's a possibility. Otherwise, we need to make sure that affordable housing is a priority and whatever happens there. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that the original design would not have been approved by council if there hadn't been the affordable housing element. So that, that is essential to anything moving forward on this site. Um, I think those are probably my main comments for now and I'll leave it there. I have a number of questions <laughs> based on this. I think a lot, um, a lot of them will be for staff, but also maybe for some of the counselors who were, who were here in the past. So the, the 2019 conditional zoning agreement was signed between the city and the developer. And I hear you, Jeff, that um, it wouldn't be probably viable today, but we're not going to preemptively remove that from the property, right? No, it would be expected that if another proposal came forward, a, a replacement conditional zoning agreement would, would be in, considered through the rezoning process. And if the property changes hands, if, a, if the current owner had a buyer and they just purchased the property, the CZA attaches to that, right? It goes forward with that transaction? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it kind of transfers with the owner, so to speak, yeah. Okay, so the starting point would be that's what's in place now, but I hear you saying it wouldn't be realistic at all to kind of just be like okay we'll wait for that because it would probably not ever happen that's correct okay yeah i don't i think the owner would have a very difficult time even selling the property mm -hmm. if if the city's position was this is the only you know project that we'll accept and the I'm just going to tie in a lot of things, so anybody like interrupt me <laughs> if we have other thoughts or questions, but I'm just going to kind of go through my list here. So the um, this right of first refusal question, so part of what I'm thinking about is the, the expectations of everyone at the time of 2019 versus now, and I think what I'm hearing my colleagues say and what I totally understand is wanting to meet expectations as best we can. At the same time, I think circumstances have changed to the point that we know we can't fulfill those expectations. The city's not getting what we bargained for out of this deal um, in terms of the affordable housing under this plan. Um, and, and certainly the tenants aren't, aren't getting um, what they bargained for in the form that they, they thought it would be. And so on the right of first refusal piece, the way that I understood it from the CZA was there were these modular homes and there was multifamily um, and that there would be an option including a path to sort of a purchase on contract like rent to own kind of option that would be for a modular home or one of the units in the multifamily or the relocation assistance. And so in my mind, if we're providing the relocation assistance, I don't feel comfortable kind of additionally layering that right of first refusal because I think in the in the what was contemplated at the time was that it would be kind of an either or not that you're getting the relocation assistance and the option uh, to purchase I think absolutely hopefully the negotiations that have happened to date and the conduct of the city staff in particular regardless of who sits up here has shown that um, the tenants would be listened to and would you know be able to come back and say hey you know, we want, as uh, Sean said, a seat at the table in this conversation. But I don't, I don't think having something formalized in whatever we come up with makes makes a lot of sense to me. 
I have concerns with the tying back to June 2019 residents if we're using ARPA funds. I, I'm not comfortable. I, you know, I, I, we got some correspondence on kind of how that might be justified. I'm not comfortable with saying that this pot of money that is pandemic relief should tie back to impacts on, you know, based on this residency of 2019. Um, and I, I think I agree with the mayor that the September 1st of 2021 date uh, makes sense. Where staff was coming from, if I understand correctly on that, was the trying to capture everyone who maybe had to move out last winter and make sure that they were included um, because obviously this has been a multi-year process. I see Jeff nodding your head. Yeah, that's correct. I appreciate the comments about um, maybe having different funding sources if we're gonna have different time frames, right? So maybe we would have ARPA funds that could be used for residents after a certain date or other funds before a certain date. Um, I'm worried about our need to move with urgency. I, um, we all witnessed and participated in the, what, what occurred with the direct assistance program with the county. That was even lower stakes for the individuals who were receiving the funds. Um, and I think just in terms of the actual dollar amount to households, and I really fear that we could get caught up in a lot of back and forth and a lot more um, kind of negotiating by committee <laughs> here. So I just wanna plant that, like that's something in my mind that I believe the parties have been negotiating in good faith up until this point. I think we've kind of narrowed the issues. So I'm not really interested in like, opening it back up, if that makes sense to folks. Um, and so just kind of going along with that, I think the, I think the upfront money were agreed on, that makes sense. I think the dollar amount in my mind ties to the eligibility because we're talking about the total, um, well, it also ties to the funding source. But I think, you know, at the time what was contemplated was a $7,200 cap plus moving expenses. And so if we're bringing in more than twice that, I think the expectation in my mind would be that maybe it is you know, more to the people who have that, the more immediate acute need rather than those who maybe were able to find some alternative um, a couple of years ago. I did read the memo from Eleanor Dilks um, that was referenced the prior city attorney, and I didn't read that as a promise that individuals would receive the $7,200 payment. I read that as at the time of implementation, the CZA, you know, the, the, the agreement stemming from that obligation in the CZA will need to be carried out. We don't wanna lose track of people. I don't think it was making promises beyond, beyond that. So I didn't read it myself as that creating that sort of tie back. Um, obligation so I think yeah I think the the eligibility time period being certainly within the pandemic is important for the ARPA funds because I believe that we're confident those relief dollars are not going to be taxable income to the recipients correct the the ARPA dollars if we have to use another funding source it's very likely that those could be taxable Right, so if we want to make sure it's not taxable income to the individuals, there's, I'm sure there's nuance, 
but we're confident that the ARPA funds would not be taxable. Correct. There's clear guidance from the IRS on that. Okay. So I guess I'm just kind of repeating myself, but I think where I'm at is I agree with a significant amount, like the, the intent of providing two years of stability um, or, you know, that the relocation assistance being an amount to provide for two years of housing, I think is, is excellent and will really uh, assist those people who were in a tremendously precarious housing situation. I think the upfront portion makes sense. I think the timeline makes sense. Um, there was discussion about the income eligibility. My understanding from the memo was that tying eligibility to income and allowing a self-certification, which would be a simple sworn statement that your household is within this income and not requiring additional proof would be the simplest way to administer this. And I think I kind of heard the opposite of we want to simplify so we don't want income eligibility. So I just want to kind of flesh that out among us if we can. I guess the question would be, is it required through ARPA funds to have income eligibility associated? Um, it, it is, in our, in staff's belief, it is the simplest, most streamlined approach to implementing the relocation plan. There, there is a path forward to um, uh, kind of declare this particular neighborhood as disproportionately impacted from COVID, but you have to have uh, data to support that. And, and that's where we, we would have to go and collect information we would have to to, to do I don't, I don't know what that looks like to be honest it could be surveys it could be resident statements it could be um, any number of different things there's not clear guidance in the in the um, final rule about what exactly those steps are it just says that you have to distinguish this neighborhood from from all others and you know simply stating that you know there was loss of employment there was uh, educational interruptions there was uh, serious illness i don't think general statements like that are going to satisfy the treasury we would probably have to get in touch with the treasury and try to get more precise guidance but our read on it right now is that we would have to get into a more intrusive data collection process and the whole point behind the income certification is you self-certify you prove your, your your residency and and you're eligible and we move forward um, is, is there a higher limit uh, 40 um, forty thousand dollars for a, a household is still not a lot of money I think we would all agree to that is there I'm assuming that this that number is something that we probably um, looked we can, at yeah I, I think we can explore whether there's another avenue to, to, to push that to push that figure up higher. I don't I I don't know the answer right now. Sure. But we can explore that. Yeah. Well, a couple of thoughts I have on that would be it sounded like there weren't very many of people, just numerically very many people who would fall under this category. I'd, I'd be interested to know how many there are. Uh, the second point would be, you know, in thinking about this, it seems that the the residents of Forest View 
were hit by COVID in terms of their public health, their employment, and what I think is arguably perhaps unique to Forest View in that the project was impacted. So that is to me a pretty easy one to justify. I mean, it really su suggests that the entire community, because everyone in that community was in some way or another tied to that project, um, would make it a relatively easy argument because it, that, that is kind of a unique condition and aside from all the more typical ways in which um, our community has been impacted by COVID. The other approach I would, I, I'm inclined to at least consider would be if it's, we're only talking about a few people maybe, and we don't wanna go through that data collection, we just find another funding source. Um, you know, if, if, it's, if it's not that many, um, I don't think the, the, the cost of including them would be that significant. I think, Councillor Thomas, I had a similar thought, too, with this project, having the developer state repeatedly that the reason that they couldn't move forward was because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So I think it is sort of a unique situation where we have at least, you know, they, everybody was depending on that person or, you know, small group of people, but specifically that person. And they said, like, mm -hmm. okay, well, now this, we're scrubbing this because of COVID, which may have simplified things for us. I, I know it would be a question for Treasury, right? So, mm -hmm. so right. to me, in my mind, anyway. Um, but I'd also like to sort of the idea of, as we talk about the majority of the residents that we're trying to help in terms of, like, just numbers in a pool. And I was thinking, too, kind of combining that with the idea of what's the start date. And I was looking back. Two years ago today, Iowa was closing salons, barber shops medical spas, massage uh, therapists, all kinds of places. It was like second or third round of closures. So we know that if we went back two years to March of 2020 instead of September of, of um, 2021, we'd still be very much within the COVID impact timeframe. Now, I, I'm going to guess, and I don't know, but I'm going to guess from the time of the CZA in 2019 to March of 2020, probably not a lot of people moved in that time period. I don't know, uh, but that's something that, that might be worth finding out because if we're talking about everybody that was there two years ago today, or roughly March, two years ago this month, to now being covered would seem eligible for ARPA funding. And if there was just a handful of people we had to cover with other funding from March of 2020 back to June of 2019 or whatever that date was, that might be a small enough pool that it's not going to the, the big the big needle is from september possibly to to march um september of 21 to march of 2020 um and that's you know i think and that would still seem within the whole like you know since the pandemic started so that that seems a little easier to me uh, possibly i would definitely just to to piggyback on that and i'm sorry pauline i just cut that's you okay. off but um it goes back to what laura was talking about and what i noted in the memo and had a question about is the even if it's that smaller group and i think that that's a, a really interesting and potentially very smart way to look at it to say probably parsing it out the residents who had to leave before covid are relatively smaller than than, than this larger group that would be affected and potentially covered by arpa, fund, ARPA funds um I'd be interested in knowing exactly about that taxable income. Like if we found it from a different source, what does that mean for potentially say, let's just call it five families. What would that mean then? How would they be negatively impacted by the yeah. funds that, or is there a way that we could search out funds that would um, preclude them from, from having 
that money count as taxable income? We can explore that, but I, I would say with pretty good certainty that any alternative funding source is going to be taxable. We'll, we'll certainly explore that and do our best, but it's the unique aspect yeah. of the ARPA disaster recovery funds that we're using that make it non-taxable. Yeah. So local funds are surely going to be taxable, and then there's you know, forms that have to be filled out and provided. I mean, it just begets to, right. gets to be a more intrusive process, but yeah. um, so we, we, we would certainly look at that. And I also want to just clarify, we don't, I can't sit here with any certainty today and tell you you can use ARPA funds all the way back to um, March of 2020. Yeah. I, I don't know that. The legislation was in March of 21. That is something that we would have to, to further explore and get back to you on. Um, sure. I think I think there may be an opportunity to move move back w w with greater certainty to to March of uh, 2021. Going back to 2020, you might be in that alternative funding source realm. Yeah. yeah so my my question is this exact was exactly how far back can we use ARPA funds? Yeah. Uh, because th that seems to me a really important um, point when we're looking at eligibility and funding sources. Because I think using staff ARPA funds, particularly because it's non-taxable, is is um, is really by far the the best option for everyone. Yeah, st staff would feel comfortable probably saying March of 21 uh, is is uh, fairly certain. Anything beyond that will require some time. Mm -hmm. What I might um, suggest is, you know, certainly this can be researched by staff brought back to us um and and as far as you know when uh, the date of eligibility um from my perspective i can certainly um, be persuaded the one thing that i will say is that even when we're thinking about march of 2020 uh, that's two years ago people have you know anyone that moved back then they have moved and so um having the same level of even if you did it um by the uh, proportion by the months that moved or even just a small percentage, I, it, it becomes a little complicated. And it's not that we can't get complicated because certainly these individuals have lived through complications. Um, but I think that would be a discussion that we'll have to have. The last thing I wanted to just mention um, or ask, because the original agreement was with the property owner or with the developer or the property owner of the 7200 uh, plus moving expenses is is the city contemplating this or is the city proposal based on land being dedicated to the city or does this have nothing to do with that the need for relocation is here regardless of whether we uh, are able to negotiate that or not. Yep. I think we have to move forward with that being a separate issue. Yep. All right. I just wanted to make sure that um, we are clear on our position as council, what we're discussing. I also wanted to make mention that um, we are only about <laughs> uh, 15 minutes away from ending our session time. So I wanted to just make that acknowledgement. May I just make one more comment, and then we can move on or, or what have you. I guess one of the things that um, 
I was very struck by the thoroughness and the thoughtfulness of this memo uh, with the history um, and everything else. But you know, I, I absolutely agree that I mean, the use of ARPA funds for this—I mean, it's 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 a, a perfect use for what um, the tenants of Forest View are dealing with. But I think I don't want us to get caught in thinking about the scope of of the relocation needs. Um, and again, I, I just want to go back to the people who got us to this dance are the, the ones who are most impacted, right? They had to leave early um, before this agreement happened, um, before they were able to get relocation funds. And in fact, that was something that was being built into that agreement, right? And so I feel like at the same time, I just I want to encourage us all um, to, to think as expansively as possible, as creatively is probably a better word for it, about how we might be able to get all of the tenants um, the, the assistance that they need and, and to honor that. And as is true, we do not have a legal obligation, but I really think we have an ethical imperative to do it as a city, and that's been really well stated by so many, all of the council members, and I think also from the hard work that the staff has gone into doing this as well. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there. I don't want us to, um, at the same time, I think that ARPA funds, the, the more expansively we can do it, as is allowed, the better, um, to cover as many people as possible, but I don't want to feel like if, I don't want us to feel limited um, in only using ARPA funds. I do think council has um, had a good starting discussion. This discussion will continue. Um, we will move on in our agenda item. Um, we're gonna do clarification of agenda items and then we're gonna move to University of Iowa student government updates. Mayor, could I, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, can we just have a plan for what our next step is on this item? Because I don't know if, unless staff has direction on where we're going. I just want to make sure we don't just let it sit or yes. make sure it's on our next agenda or? Yes. Uh, okay, so let me just kind of summarize what, what our takeaways uh, are. Eligibility, I'm hearing a, a call uh, to explore options to push the date back as far as possible. So if we go back to the CZA, clarification on what, if ARPA funds can be used, what alternatives that, you know, that may be, and we'll kind of look at three different dates the CZA date, the March 20th date, I'm sorry, March of 20 date and March of 21 dates. And we'll try to understand what the ARPA rules are with all three of those dates. I'll also contact the Residents Association and see if they can provide us a, a count of people from the time of the CZA to now with move out dates within those ranges so that you know, you know how many may fall into each category. Um, I hear concurrence on the amount of relocation, the 15-7 amount. Um, I'm a little unclear what, what you want from us regarding the income requirement. Uh, we can certainly ask Treasury to see if they would give us more guidance on what declaring the class uh, disproportionately impacted may be. December 9th, there doesn't seem to be any disagreement with that. Um, and future housing, I'm sensing that. We'll just treat that separately, um, but there's an expectation that communication channels will remain open. I've summarized everything okay. That's a good start. Yes. So All we right. can we can try to come back at your next meeting. I I really doubt we'll have answers to all these questions <clears throat> in two weeks. 
You may, yep. you may be able to frame some of them at that point. We'll, we'll probably have an on-the-work session, um, depending on where, where staff is. Thank oh, you all. Just a quick comment. You'd mentioned, Jeff, something about the group, and we had gotten some information about that. Uh, would you be able to follow up maybe with the legal department what that would entail, or if that is a possibility that they could just be encompassed as a group, having been affected um, by COVID? Yeah. Because of the uh, developer yeah. backing out? The, the city attorney's office has been working with our, okay. our staff. Uh, um, that would be helpful. Closely. We'll continue to do that and Thank you. see if we can get some clarification. Great. All right. Clarification of agenda items. This would be for the formal meeting. Hearing none, we're going to move on to USG with some updates. Hello. Awesome. Hi, Council. Long time no see. Um, so as you all have received, we got uh, 11,000 copies of the magnets that we made. Um, super exciting. Uh, and we are working to distribute them right now. Uh, we brought some to y'all, as well as they are currently in um, a few um, IMU offices, such as Student Legal Services and the Food Pantry, as well as outside of the student activities in USG's office. So um, we're also working with the city to um, distribute them to local businesses as well as bars um, and just other places where students might be able to get them. Um, and uh, and another point, thanks to the work of our health and safety director, all the Diva Cups that were stocked at the food pantry have been taken and they plan to restock that as well. Um, there. Uh, our health and safety menstrual equity work continues, uh, especially going on into Pride Week happening this week. Um, information on Pride Week events is on the university website, which I will include linked in our announcements. Um, on the subject of Pride Week, uh, the Queer Trans Closet is happening March 24th through the 27th in the IMU room uh, 351, which is a chance for students in free gender to find free gender affirming clothing. Anna and I will be volunteering on the first day, I want to say, on from 6 to 10. So feel free to stop by and say hi. Um, April 5th, um, so at the next city council meeting, um, I will be out of town for the big uh, Association of Big Ten conference happening in Washington, D.C., but Anna will be here to come at the beginning of council to give announcements. Um, that might mean like having to move up announcements or something. I'm not totally sure. Um, I would talk to them. Um, the move-in checklist created by USG's GR committee um, has passed the Iowa House uh, this past week and is now moving on to the Senate. Um, battery fires have decreased in Iowa City, uh, um, or decreased uh, due to uh, the success of the Iowa City's recycling program, um, and uh, that has included with more battery drop-off locations. So a little round of applause for that. That's pretty cool. Um, and finally, USG is sponsoring an event with Judy Human, a uh, internationally renowned uh, disabilities right, rights activist, um, as well as with uh, former Senator Tom Harkin, who will be speak. They will be speaking at the Honcher Auditorium. Uh, the th on next Wednesday, the 30th, um, and seems like a super cool event. I would encourage you all to go. Thank you. Thank you. All right, sound like lots happening, and welcome back to all the students that left for spring break. We enjoyed 
uh, Rockstar Parking. <laughs> All right, we're going to do just one item before we end, um, and we'll pick this, we'll pick up the work session um, after our formal meeting, but we're going to go to um, March 17th, IP1. It's a memo from our city clerk, um, and it, it's really just uh, talking about um, moving um, back to council chambers, Emma Harvard Hall. And just wanted to open up that discussion. Um, numbers are down. Um, the city, um, we have the hybrid options for meetings, which is great. And just wanted to open up that conversation um, to see what people thoughts are. Are people comfortable moving back? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's time, and I think that yes. we've, we have uh, used the hospitality of the Senior Center for a very long time, and I'm very appreciative and very grateful to, to Latasha and everyone else for allowing us to occupy this space, but I do think it's time. Yes. Okay. Yes. Are we comfortable next uh, meeting uh, starting in April? If I may, Your Honor, the one thing I would add about that is there's a number of items being set on your agenda tonight that are setting a public hearing for the next meeting here. So if you would be willing to do it two weeks from now, I'm sorry, two meetings from now, yes. which would be April 19th, that would be appreciated. So uh, considering for April That's 19th. Fine. Yeah. All right, April 19th, great. We are going to adjourn for now, and we will be back at 6 p.m. We are adjourned back to our work session. And the remaining items there is going to be our information packets. We have three. Um, so I'll start with March 3rd. So I had a question on IP2 for March 3rd, the memo from the Planning and Zoning Commission about the House study bill and the Senate study bill that they were concerned could really over, could really override our zoning. Is that a bill that's actually, are those bills actually moving forward or have they died? Yeah, I'm gonna look to Rachel and see if she can uh, provide an update on that. I think you were corresponding on that one recently. Just on the, on the zoning and building code. Um, so there's been an amendment filed on division 10 which addresses the building code. Um, which uh, doesn't touch the mechanical, electrical, um, and plumbing codes, but still would create a statewide building code, um, prohibit local amendments, and make it a, a, process, uh, a code that's adopted legislatively rather than how it is administratively right now. Um, there was also talk about stripping out that zoning language out of Division I, um, which, um, which was pretty vague and, and broad. Um, we haven't seen an amendment that done, that's done that yet, but it sounds like that's a, a done deal. Thanks. I'm glad you brought that up, Councilor Weiner, because I, when I saw that, and I thought there was some mention in there about our planning and zoning codes, and I thought, you know, this is some type of legislation that we really need to keep on top of. It'd be imperative that we, we uh, make sure that our, our lobbyists uh, keep us posted on any things like this. Yeah, I think it is definitely, it's about, there's just actually a couple of things in that overarching bill. The, the zoning is a huge one. Uh, the building code, I think, is something that um, has all kinds of ramifications um, that we need to, to really be pushing back against. 
Uh, not only can that set us back in terms of, of our own climate, uh, addressing climate change, because that, like the states, the state code is like still like 10 years behind where Iowa City is, something like that. Um, it's that ballpark, something, something like that, which would also uh, hurt our ability, uh, efficiency of our of our homes for things like um, energy, and energy bills and things. You know, if we're not enforcing a more up to date environmental code, you know, we're looking at all kinds of long term ramifications uh, with that, and so. Um, that is something too. I've also been sort of in touch with some of our delegation about and kind of voicing my concerns and, and worries. Um, it seems like, you know, at least our Iowa City folks are aware of that and, and keeping an eye on it. Um, hopefully trying to do what they can to oppose or strip out some of the worst parts of that bill. So we should take, I haven't taken a look, but we should take a look online and see who has actually registered us for the bill. I think the last time I looked, uh, a lot of the cities were undecided yet. Um, on this bill, and the, but the information is about a week old, so I haven't looked since I've gotten back from, from traveling. Um, uh, yeah, that is a good thing to look at, see who's the who's come out for and against, or undecided. I don't know, maybe that's changed. Let's take a look real quick. All right. We have nothing more from March third. We're going to go to March tenth. Um, IP4, the civil service announcement of appointments uh, to positions of community outreach assistant, immigration and refugee uh, communities. I, I want to welcome those individuals that were appointed, and, and I'm happy to see this and hope it can be a benefit to uh, those in our community who are immigrants and refugees. Moving on to March 17th. I appreciated the article that uh, John, mm -hmm. you included about the, um, where we've been living all this time, I think it was called. So I think that's a helpful frame for some of the discussions we had earlier and that we will have in our strategic planning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that video was probably the, the most concise video I've seen on this topic, which which was, you know, the topic itself it was included in our strategic plan from two years ago. So um, we'll see what happens at our next strategic plan meeting. Yeah, I could, if you haven't seen the video, I, I commend it to you as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. On IP7, I wanted to point out and highlight an item um, Elizabeth mentioned in her UISG uh, report about uh, an evening with Judy uh, Newman, uh, who is an internationally renowned disability rights advocate. Um, it's um, March 30th, 7.30 at Hancher, and along with that on March 29th is the actual screening of the Crip Camp documentary, which is 6.30 uh, at Film Scene at Chauncey. Uh, it's said to be a very inspiring documentary uh, about uh, a summer camp that was uh, developed for teens with disabilities, and a group of those young people then went on to join the disability rights advocate group and uh, advocating for legislative changes for disabled people. So I, I hope that uh, everyone can get a chance to to go to one or both of those events. Mm -hmm. The the, the Hancher event is um, free of charge. You just have to sign up. Is what? It's free of charge. You just have to sign up. Nice. I wanted to, um, IP4 is our pending work session. And I wondered if council would be interested 
and bringing in um, the guy at Link. Uh, we haven't before the year is out, <laughs> um, but bringing in the guy at Link just to get kind of a update since they've been operational. Um, we haven't had them here, and I think since before they actually started receiving individuals. I'd be very interested. So we'll add that to the work session. Pending. Uh, happy to do that. I, I might suggest you consider that for a joint meeting topic. Um, it That's seems to be that would be a great setting. Since oh, yeah. there was a it'd, be, it'd be good for the joint entities. Yeah, and that'll be coming up. Yeah. So, great yeah. Idea. I think that it, I, I would agree that it'd be a better space. We'll pencil that in. Of course, you can add to that list when, the, when that time comes, but I think that'd be a good setting yeah. for that. Yeah. Right. And I've mentioned it uh, in conversation with you, Mayor, um, and with a couple others, but uh, certainly as I sat out there while staff presented um, the collation of all the community feedback and then sort of the categorization of how that all would work for the ARPA funds. and. Um, it's been a while since I presented it. I know that we're coming up on strategic planning. I also know that we're looking forward to sort of how are we going to disperse um, the, the rest of the monies. And so I would love it if staff could um, present that again um, now that Sean and I are both on council and just as a refresher so that then we can kind of, and I'm taking a page from John's book about sort of having a better holistic view um, about sort of the, the relationship between how we're putting money toward and, and the ARPA funds towards what our strategic planning is so that we're not redoubling or being redundant, but also we're being really mindful about how we can sort of best serve the community um, both in the short term and, and longer term. So that's my um, request, I guess, is, is if we can get that a refresher on, on what staff had to say from the community about um, ARPA funds. And how they should be put. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Great. So we'll put that on there as well. Anything else for March 17th? All right. I'll just open it. Yes. Um, I just, I was looking up that jumping back one topic, if that's okay. I don't want to. Um, the bill passed out of committee with, it looks like from my quick read. Uh, passed out of committee today, so it's still alive. It looks like a lot of the problematic language is still in there. Um, and I'm looking at, um, I'm looking for Iowa City. Some cities have come out against this bill. Uh, it looks like uh, Coralville has. Um, I haven't found Iowa Cities yet, like what our what our lobbyist has done out there. Um, but yeah, so, anyway, so that bill is still alive and kicking. Um, and so I don't know if that's something that we want to maybe discuss giving some sort of indication. Um, some cities are still undecided. Cedar Rapids is still undecided. Um, some different, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's reading through the list. Um, if we want to give some direction or maybe have a conversation about uh, what we want to do in terms of having our lobbyists take a stand on that bill. Um, and, and I know that uh, um, some conversation that we had had, Jeff, if you want to kind of yeah. kind of chime in a bit there. Yeah, yeah, so understand, just, just because uh, a group, including the city, may be undecided, that doesn't mean that we're not actively voicing concerns. Our, our concerns are, are heard on this item. We've 
have shared those with our delegation and our lobbyist has been able to communicate that with with the appropriate people at the legislature um, uh, we've kind of learned that uh, you know the the timing of declaring a position is a, is a bit of a science um, oftentimes if you take your position too soon um, you might be left out of the conversations in order to how to shape legislation going forward so oftentimes you won't see us uh, register in a lot of cities you won't see register until we feel like the negotiations on the bill are over and it's going to move forward um, uh, you know f from that point um, in this case, we still think that there's a lot of uh, fluidity in in the discussions. That the that there's um, um, still a lot of talk about stripping the zoning piece out. The building piece uh, is still being heavily scrutinized. And the advice that we get from our lobbyist is just stay undecided. It allows them to engage a little bit more effectively from their perspective. And then if the time comes where the writing's on the wall and this thing's going to be pushed forward for a vote, that's when we would, would make a move to declare our position. That said, if you want to you know, make it known right now what you think about this, you can always direct us to um, register as opposed. And you can change your registration as, as it evolves too. But we try to take our cues from, from the lobby team on, on what the right timing is on a particular bill. Thank you. Anything else from any other info packets? All right, I will give one last opportunity because it is on our work session agenda for any council updates on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. Hearing none, we are adjourned and good evening. Thanks for coming in at 3 p.m.